Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Motown Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jimmy. How are you doing today? Good, thanks. Good. I'm having a little technical difficulty, so I'm using a different mic today, so it'll sound a little different, but it's all right. We'll work through it, and uh, I'll be back fine next week. So we've got a lot to talk about today, and the first thing I'd like to discuss is my previous article from last week for the Sideline Report, which I talked about if Corey Undland can have the same type of success that Derek Daryl Bevel did in his first season, which taking our offense and taking third string players and actually making a lot of production. When we had a lead, I think in, I want to say 12 games last year, I'm pretty sure I'm wrong on that, but we had a lead in almost every single game and we squandered them in the fourth quarter due to our defense. So we're hoping that Corey Underland can bring that type of turnaround to the defense this year. So what were your initial thoughts when you read the article, Jimmy? Well, I love that you brought in Daryl Bevel and brought him into the equation here because he was a fantastic hire last Uh year. The year prior in 2018, Stafford had maybe the worst season of his career. Yeah. Uh, Most of that might have been related to his back injury, but there are Jim Bob Cooter offense issues as well. So Uh we were concerned that Stafford was going downhill and was not going to be the same player anymore. But in 2019 with Bevel, Stafford Uh and the offense just looked fantastic with really good balance, as well as lots of downfield big passing plays. I'll never forget that first play against Green Bay where we opened the game with a flea, fi- uh, oh, flea flicker. Yeah. Love it. That, was it a touchdown to Kenny Galladay? Just... Uh, the offense was so fun to watch the first mm-hmm. half of last year. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was a revelation. Yeah. So I'm glad you wrote about Unlum because he needs to be our defensive MVP this year. Mm-hmm. Our main problem last year was the pass rush, and we didn't add any pass rushers in the offseason, really. Mm-hmm. We got Jamie Collins. He's 30 years old, going to be 31 this year. He's not exactly a pass rusher. He's a linebacker. Yeah. And we got Julian Carr in the third round. So we would need him to vastly outplay his third round status. Mm-hmm. So because we didn't add any elite pass rushers, we need Undling to hopefully add some creativity to our pass rush schemes. So if Unlin can have the same success as Daryl Bevel, then we are in great shape. But the difference here is that Patricia's a defensive coach, so it's unclear how much control and influence Unlung's going to have on the defense. My hope is that he has a lot because Patricia just hasn't shown enough creativity and adaptability in scheming a pass rush the past couple of years. It's mm-hmm. been a very disappointing. That's been the number one disappointing thing about his schemes. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen on social media, but Darius Slay's come out recently and claimed that Matt Patricia doesn't hide his coverages at all, whether if it's a man, he's always following the wide receivers. So yeah, like you said, he has very little creativity in his defensive plays. Yeah, I agree. It comes across as vanilla. When you really watch every single game, it it seems predictable. It seems vanilla. It seems like you know where the blitz is going to be coming. Yeah. I do have to give him credit. The second half of last year, it did get a lot better. We started to see some DB blitzes, Justin Coleman, blitzing safety blitzes so it did get better but it was too little too late yeah hopefully that'll continue into this 2020 season because we don't have the pass rushers to win these one-on-one battles so we gotta scheme it Mm -hmm. yeah and also we need to rush a little bit more than just three men on every single play so put a little bit more pressure let's talk about the blitz percentage uh you brought that up in your article nicely Mm -hmm. Uh, in quoting your article, in 2017, the Eagles were 10th in blitz percentage. So I looked up the past 
two years on Pro Football Reference. In 2018, the Lions blitz percentage was second to last. The last was actually the Eagles in 2018. They <laughs> wow. only blitzed 16% of the time. That's crazy. Uh, so that's uh, a little weird. Mm -hmm. In 2019, the Lions were 30th in blitz percentage, so still very, very low. That's third to last. Mm -hmm. The Eagles were up to 19th in blitz percentage. They blitzed 27% of the time versus the Lions at 18% of the time. So it's not like the Eagles are these extreme blitzers either, which is fine. We don't need to be high percentage blitzers. We just need to be a little bit more unpredictable mm -hmm. and have more creativity with our blitzing. Maybe some overload blitzes, A-gap blitzes, something just to mix things up. Yeah, and blitz percentage isn't necessarily like a set in stone stat because just because your blitz percentage is maybe lower in the league doesn't necessarily mean your sacks are just as low in the league you could still be in top half of the league in sacks but close to the league in blitz percentage it just depends on how effective your defensive line is and like you said other schemes or who are other types of people that you're bringing down the line yeah that's a really good point so ideally you do want your blitz percentage to be fairly low but your uh quarterback pressures and sacks to be high yeah that, that means a lot of the time the offense just doesn't know what's going on and we got a lot of guys in the secondary to defend passes exactly that's necessarily what you're hoping happens. So, so yeah, yeah, good job with the article there, talking about the coordinators, and hopefully Corey Undlin can be our MVP this year. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And as I mentioned in the article, too, that we now have three Super Bowl winning coaches on the Lions, as all three of them have won Super Bowls in three different organizations. So they all have seen how what it takes to win, again, in different types of organizations and situations so they can all come together, and hopefully they can collectively bring that type of winning culture to Detroit, finally. Yeah, that's a good point, and that brings some credibility to the locker room. Yeah. Um, a guy has a ring on his finger. Exactly. Like you said, even though Corey Underland, this is his first time being a defensive coordinator, he still has some respect as a Super Bowl winning coach in the league. So again, it kind of gives reason to actually look up and believe in what he's saying as opposed to just a first year head coach coming in. So, all right. So now we'll move on to the next um, subject. And that's going to be, I'm sure most people have heard by now that the NFL has shortened the preseason down to two games. And that this is obviously a result of the coronavirus and just trying to keep as little exposure to other players and stuff before the regular season starts. And also with the new CBA starting next year, they, it's also sh allowing 17 games for the regular season. So it's going to require more than likely that they get rid of one preseason game in the future, at least. So it's already kind of, this is already kind of set, like planned ahead, but this is, I guess, earlier than expected and they have also cut training camp from 90 players down to what was it jimmy i think 75 75 to 80 yep. looks like the plan is yeah so they're cutting that down so again they're just trying to keep reduce exposure to everyone before the season starts and obviously with the nba trying to open back up we have every day there's reports of new players just most recently three miami heat players have tested positive and the milwaukee bucks have closed their entire practice facility until they supposedly go to orlando so this obviously puts in jeopardy the whole playoff bubble that we have going on so what are your thoughts on both i guess the nfl and the nba coronavirus situation yeah so let's talk about the preseason the NFLPA, the Players Association, 
voted that they wanted to skip the entire preseason, Mm -hmm. which is understandable from their standpoint. The players don't get paid for preseason games anyway. They get paid one-seventeenth of their salary for each regular season week. So from their standpoint, why I don't want to play anyway. There's increased hassle and risk because you have to travel Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to stay in hotels more. So I can get the Players Association standpoint. Uh, For established players, like guys 1 through 45 on the roster, uh, they know they're going to make the team, so there's not much incentive to have preseason game. It's really the fringe players, players 50 to 90 on the roster, who want a chance to showcase themselves Mm -hmm. to all the teams that are going to be hurt by this. So as far as cutting the preseason half or eliminating it, is this going to help the NFL or hurt it as far as playing out this season? Well, it's a philosophical debate here. The leagues are probably better if most players or a large percentage of players contract it before the season and hopefully develop some immunity to it, Mm -hmm. uh, which will hopefully prevent some positive cases during the season. So instead of the flatten the curve scenario, which is what we're trying to do as a nation, actually a tighter, a higher, spikier curve might actually be beneficial in actually getting the season to play out without too many positive tests. Yeah. By cutting the preseason, you also eliminate the benefit of going through some trial runs and dress rehearsals Mm. to work out any kinks in the system or tweak any protocols before the season starts. It makes me nervous to have no preseason games and jump right into week one. There could be unexpected things that develop and to try to work those out during the regular season seems like a potential bad idea. As you just said, it's you'd probably definitely want to get as many tests positive as you can because it kind of builds up an immunity. And as we mentioned in last week's episode when we were talking about Ezekiel Elliott testing positive, there's probably he didn't want that to get out, and there's probably way more NFL players that have tested positive and are just keeping it under wraps and we actually know about. So we'll just have to wait and see. I think, like you agree, I think it was kind of pointless to get rid of the two preseason games. I think they should have just tested it out and seen, and maybe, again, kind of be like the NBA. If certain players didn't want to play, they could just opt out and not play in those preseason games. And then, again, just give a little bit more opportunities to some of the younger players that are willing to play and willing to put their film out there to other teams. But Yeah, so just a common as far as the possible immunity thing i just want to make things clear we're not sure that immunity does develop yeah my guess it it does develop there's at least some immunity that develops that doesn't mean you can't still be exposed to it and have it in your system yeah but hopefully your body's going to fight it off a lot quicker than otherwise and clear it out of your system which helps prevent further spreading it's sort of like how vaccines work Mm -hmm. uh this is basically a natural vaccine you get it, and hopefully you're immune for a period of time. We do know that antibodies do develop. At least we're pretty sure about that in regards to COVID. We don't know sh- for sure how much protective effect that has or how long that would last. So these things are still totally up in the air. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you would know way more than I would. But again, hopefully it would just be like a common cold where, again, you catch it for a little bit and then you're hopefully immune for the rest of the year till the following year when a different type of strain or whatever comes back. So, yeah, that's what we need to hope for as a nation to get over this whole COVID pandemic. Exactly. So the the next thing uh, 
might only bring 75 to 80 players to camp instead of 90. Yes, this will decrease the likelihood of outbreaks. The lower the human density, the lower the likelihood of a viral load developing among any individual player. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is a potential benefit to that. Yeah, for sure. Again, just trying to reduce as, as much exposure to other players as possible and trying to keep it as minimum as you can. That's the best we can do and hope for for to get a full NFL season. Yep. So as far as the some other testing in other sports, mm-hmm. MLB announced their positive test. It came out at 1.2% of all test results, 38 out of 3,185. That's a lot wow. more than the NBA, which yeah. is at 5%. That's really surprising. Yeah, that's surprisingly low. Earlier in the year, the Premier League, which is the English Soccer League, had less than 1% positive mm. tests. So hard to know what to make of all these numbers at this point, but it it was a good sign that the MLB was only at 1.2%. Although there was just a report today that the Washington Nationals hadn't even received their test results back yet. So we may find out some more positive tests over the next week or so. Yeah, as teams start getting their test results, we still may see that number increase. But still, out of, what did you say, almost 3,000 or... Yeah, 3,185, there are only 38 positive tests yeah, so far. Yeah, that's an extremely low number for that amount of players. So, But again, as you said, that we might not have the confer- like teams may not have the confirmed results of all those players yet. So we could see that increase, but we'll just have to wait and see. And I'm not for sure, but I'm assuming they're not. Do you know if NFL teams are going to be doing any type of open training camp, like open to the public at all? But I'm assuming that would be a no. Uh, no. Yeah, I don't think they've decided yet. They, they, I saw something a few days ago that they might try to open up one or two days, but my guess is, uh, unless the whole COVID testing numbers really decrease, uh, they're probably not going to do it. Yeah, that's what I figured. I was just wondering if you've heard anything on it at all yet. Well, the, there's been a concern lately with the Florida testing numbers increasing yeah. and the NBA is going to be in their bubble in Orlando. So does this put the NBA in jeopardy? Because as NFL fans, we want the NBA to start on time and finish on time and have a nice positive result. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want their season to get derailed or canceled. So the number of new pa- positive cases in Florida has significantly increased uh, recently, but that number by itself again, doesn't, we can't take that number in isolation. We need to look at the other factors. So the other thing to take into account is the percentage of positive tests in these numbers. That has increased from about 4% two or three weeks ago to about 12% now. So that's a concerning sign that there's an increased prevalence of the coronavirus in the community. The other number I like to take a look at is the hospitalizations and deaths. So there was a spike on July 1st and July 2nd with about a 50 to 75% increase in hospitalizations. Mm. That's concerning. Mm -hmm. However, July 3rd and 4th, the hospitalizations dropped significantly and returned to the previous baseline level. So I think it's still up in the air whether there is really going to be a spike or not. Now, the death number was constant since about April, but there was a spike developing on July 1st and 2nd as well. But July 3rd and 4th, it returned to baseline again. So the hospitalization and death numbers, there are some optimistic signs. We're not going to really know because they're 
these can be lagging indicators. We're not going to really know for sure if there really is a spike until uh, about a one or two weeks from now. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully that'll be right around the time when they're getting ready to go down to Orlando. They, I think they're reporting around the 20th or 22nd. They said their teams are supposed to be reporting. Yeah, the NBA season is supposed to be starting the 31st, so we're only about three weeks away from that. Yeah, and so I think they said they're supposed to start reporting on the 22nd or 23rd so they can start doing scrimmage games and practice and stuff like that. So yeah, about two weeks, we'll, I guess we'll have to see the numbers, and then that'll be the real test again. This is a big determination to see if the NFL season is actually going to happen, if the NBA can go smoothly, and hopefully there's no big spikes or anything like that. It's... um. Yeah. As we've also mentioned before in the last episode, I think the biggest factor, I'm pretty sure the NBA season is going to happen no matter what. And I have a strong feeling the NFL season is going to happen no matter what, unless there is a big increase in numbers or possibly like a death or a serious, serious hospitalization among a player or coach or something like that. That's the only way I see it really derailing anything or unless just majority of players opt out or strike or something and say they don't want to do it. That's the only way I would see this both seasons not realistically being played out yeah as far as players opting out that's a good point we've already seen at least four nba players opt out mm-hmm. the nba is a lot different than the nfl because they have guaranteed contracts and the size of their contracts are can be enormous yeah so it's a lot there's a lot more incentive and it's a lot easier for an nba player to opt out from mm-hmm. a financial standpoint and since we've already seen at least four NBA players opt out, potentially this could open the door to more players feeling comfortable and opting out and not feeling that peer pressure to have to go down and play with yeah, the team. Exactly. With the NFL though, with the non guaranteed contracts and the shorter careers, I see a far fewer percentage of players opting out. But that'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah. And it was the same. It's kind of the same thing when they were talking about the CBA negotiations. As a lot of, obviously, the bigger name profile players, the stars have can either opt out or not play because they've made their money and they're financially set. But it's almost I think 80% of the league is bubble players or fringe players, and that's pretty much who needs their money or they don't have, like you said, guaranteed contracts or rookie contracts, and they need that money. So. I like I said, I guarantee in the NFL, it's more a lot more players are going to be playing as a resort to opting out. Right, and they're used to taking risks with their bodies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, the NFL is a high risk game, yeah. so so that that's just part of the culture there. Exactly, they risk their lives pretty much every time they go out there. Their bodies, they're, we've seen. Um, Oh, Ryan Shazier. Thank you. Ryan Shazier, most recently, who was significantly injured yeah, and was, was brutal. Yeah, and is still, I mean, he's gotten, obviously, we've seen him improve. He's actually walking and everything now. But yeah, that was brutal to see. And people said he yeah. might never walk again. So that's just the most recent of a long line of, again, significant injuries that you put yourself when you're going out. So this is just one more risk, I guess, to add to that list. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, doesn't appear that any any NFL player has had any severe issues with COVID so far, mm. and their young age and healthy bodies make them low risk as far as severity. So that's good. And yeah, that's the thing about these athletes is they're all, all pretty almost all these teams have extreme. They pay the top dietitians and nutritionists and doctors to make sure they're getting the right supplements and keeping up and eating the right stuff to keep their bodies healthy. So if anything, these pro athletes are probably better set up than anyone to 
protect themselves against it. So <clears throat> we'll move on to our last subject of the day, and that is a little bit of this cancel culture and the result of all that's happening in the world right now. FedEx, who has the naming rights to the Washington Redskins Stadium, has publicly stated that they want the Redskins to change their name. And it has been spoken about for years that even before this, that the Redskins is kind of a slur against, obviously, Native Americans and everything like that. So they've been talking about changing it for years, but FedEx has finally stated that they want the name to be changed. And Dan Snyder, he uh, stated they're going to look at all avenues and discuss possible name changes. So I guess, (laughs) what are your initial thoughts on this whole thing? Yeah, you're right that this name change thing has been a topic of discussion for years. And I was always a little curious why Daniel Snyder wouldn't want to go ahead and just change the name. Yeah. If I had just bought an NFL team, I'd love to pick a brand new name and just put my own stamp on the team. Right. But apparently maybe Daniel Snyder was a lifelong childhood fan, so I could see that being a reason not to change. Like if I bought the Lions, I probably wouldn't want to change the team. Of, of course. But if I bought any other team, like <laughs> – the Packers or something, yeah, change it. Of course. <laughs> I'll take any chance to change the name. <laughs> so as far as the new name, given the current climate, I predict that this will be the least controversial name in the history of sports. So here are some possible options. Washington Unity, <laughs> Washington Planet Earth, Washington Water, something that's just so non-controversial that no one can complain about it yeah yeah what are your thoughts about a possible new name (laughs) honestly i haven't really given it too much thought i figured they'd probably just like go with another random animal some red animal to keep the same color changes but yeah like you said they're just going to pick something that's going to be the least controversial yeah i thought like the hogs might be a good name because that harkens back to a couple decades ago when their offensive line was nicknamed the Hogs. Mm. But I don't know if there are any political connotations with Hogs. So I, I, I don't know. Anything that is potentially at all controversial is going to be out. Yeah. I'm not one of those people who is all cancel culture or whatever, but I'm sure I feel like even if we pick up some type of animal, someone's going to come say that's some type of right. animal. Even animals yeah. can be dangerous <laughs> right now because I uh, got animals on endangered lists anyone be anyone tough. will make anything a controversy now like you could say anything wrong and it'll be a controversy here right so it'll be really interesting to see what the new name is going to be exactly i have no idea and like i said i feel like they're going to try and keep the same color scheme that way if fans yeah. can keep the same shirts if it just says washington or some, something like that i don't know but yeah, this is a great opportunity for the Redskins to sell a whole bunch of new jerseys <laughs> and a whole bunch of new paraphernalia. So Exactly. I, I mean, from their standpoint, there's really no there's no harm done. There's no reason not to go ahead and just change the name. Yeah. Financially, it's going to be profitable. Cultural standpoint, it's going to be widely viewed as a positive thing. Yeah. There's not much reason not to go ahead and just do it. Yeah, personally, I hate when they do that. Like, the Lions have changed their logo like three times or not the logo but the name font like three times recently and it's so annoying when you buy shirts or something like that and they've got that old font and it's like man why did i have to change it (laughs) yeah i know i like the last font yeah Uh, i thought that was really cool uh, yeah it had sort of a flair to it It sort of looked like a lion mane or a lion tail i thought it was great yeah i changed this new blockier font Uh, i really like the previous one yeah i agree i thought it was much more stylish too but Apparently, again, they're just trying to go for as plain, as non-controversial as possible. (laughs) One thing, I guess, um, is being thrown out as a possible name. There's 
someone posted the Washington Red Tails as a possible name change, and it's kind of got the exact same color scheme and everything like that. So yeah, wasn't that in reference to? It says the name Red Tails celebrates the World War II Tuskegee Airmen, who were the first African American military aviators in the U.S. Armed Forces. The nickname Red Tail comes from their planes, which had a distinct crimson tail. Yeah, I'd be nervous about really any kind of name that alludes to any kind of racial issue at this point. Yeah. It's, in my opinion, it's just too dangerous. Stick with something safe like the Red Feathers or something. <laughs> or, or the just just red just call yeah, the color red like, the washington reds i mean yeah, they hate like that's the cornell yeah it's the big red <laughs> they got the so baseball they, team isn't that the just the reds isn't pretty sure oh yeah cincinnati reds yeah, so i guess go. they can't be the reds yeah yeah so i mean hey there's two cardinals there's mlb and giants there's right. mlb and uh nfl right. so yeah. maybe they could just be the washington reds that's the most yeah or the the burgundies <laughs> yeah just the most plain name ever <laughs> right well i guess that's gonna do it for us today i want to thank everyone for tuning in and we'll see you again next time